Now, grace, mercy, and peace be to each of you today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the reason we celebrate today is Pentecost, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our uh, second reading from Acts chapter 2 will serve as the basis for the sermon today. So sorry, Jill. One of my wife's favorite movies of all time, The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Just kidding, but the look on your face is priceless. It is one of mine, though. It is one of my favorite movies. In particular, the beginning of the movie, where that tornado comes up and sweeps Dorothy and Toto and the whole farmstead up into the clouds, right, swirling around. And I always found it interesting that all this chaos is going on, and she's looking out the window, and there she sees a cow, and she's pointing out the cow. And then she sees a lady riding her bike, and she points out the, the, the lady reading, you know, riding her bike and whatnot. It was kind of funny. And then the tornado ends and the house comes plopping back down somewhere. And one of my favorite lines that, that Dorothy says, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Love that, right? Kind of a scary place. Of course, when she comes out of the house and she starts looking around, everything is kind of cool looking. It's all in color and all these wonderful things that she doesn't really have. I have a feeling that we're not in Kansas anymore. I can kind of relate to that because One of the first times I remember seeing that movie, my family and I were living in Fort Riley, Kansas, when my father was stationed there in the military. And uh, right in the heart of Tornado Alley, right? I remember spending many of my days in in elementary school practicing tornado drills, which looking back on it now made not much sense. We're sitting in the hallway with our knees up to our ears and a book over the top of our heads. Like that was going to do a lot. To be honest with you, the favorite book that I like to hold up was my math book. I was hoping it was the first thing that would just fly. And then quite frequently in the afternoons, you come home from school and you would be under a tornado warning. So we would be sitting in the basement oftentimes waiting for this event to pass. And one day I was reading the book that was given to me, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, as I was down in the basement of a tornado drill. And I'm looking through it and I'm, and I'm reading this scene about the tornado and I'm thinking to myself, what would happen if I got sucked up in a tornado? Would I survive it? And if I did, where would this tornado plunk me down at? What would it be? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure it was going to be nowhere near where I started from. Think about that for a moment. Winds, that's what tornadoes were associated with, right? Winds tend to change things, don't they? They knock things down. They blow things over. Winds pretend a a change in the seasons, a coming storm, so to speak. A departure from one thing and a beginning of another. But funny enough, with winds, you can't necessarily see it, can you? But you can feel it. You know you're there. And if you've ever experienced a a hurricane in Florida, you know what the after effects of a windstorm is, right? As it blows things all over the place. The Holy Spirit in the Bible is often described in terms of wind. Why? Not because it's destructive per se, but because it's powerful. It's powerful. It creates energy. And believe it or not, it can supply life. Go back to Genesis when God created man. And he blew wind, life, into creation. In Ezekiel, God commanded the four winds from the four corners of the the earth to blow life into dry bones. 
In the Gospel of John, wind is said to blow wherever it pleases. It comes, you know not where it comes from or where it goes. But you hear it. You know it's there. And so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And here today, on this day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is described by Luke as a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house and everything in it. There's a wind of change blowing today in Acts. A sound coming from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. Imagine that you're in the house with all those apostles, all those disciples today. And things go from normal to Hollywood in a matter of seconds. Wind comes rushing in. All of a sudden, there's flames of tongues of flames hanging over everybody's head in there. And to bewilder things even further, these 12 start talking in tongues. And there's this group of devout Jews that are there from all nations under heaven. And all of a sudden, these 12 Galileans are speaking and they can understand what's going on. Kind of freaky when you think about it. Um, Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. What's going on? Well, the tendency for us might be to think that God is undoing everything he did back in Genesis at the Tower of Babel, where he confused all a man's language. We might think, that, oh, no, he's going he's to restore all of man's language to what it was, and they can all understand each other. That's not what God's doing. What God's doing is he's creating one common language, his language. And there's only one way that his language can be understood, through the Holy Spirit. There's at least three things that the Holy Spirit does. According to the Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit's an advocate, the source of God's justice and peace. He's the counselor. He's the comforter when we mourn, when we're hurting, when things are not going right. He's a strengthener. He, he fills us with his strength when we feel weak. He gives us courage when we fear. For the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit is a unifier. He's the one who unites us to Christ and unites us together in the body of Christ and activates all those wonderful gifts that we've been given by God to use it for the benefit of God's kingdom. And then, then there's the Holy Spirit as described by Luke. For the Apostle Luke, as we see in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is the power of God. That mighty rushing wind that comes blowing in, that blows the church into new places, into new directions, even as scary as those places may seem. Perhaps, though, that that's problematic for some Christians, even for some congregations. Maybe we're worried where the Holy Spirit might actually take us. We might be worried how people might think about us as we act as Christians in a way that's contrary to the ways of the world. Of all the descriptions of the Holy Spirit, the one in Acts seems to be the most problematic, the most troublesome. What do we make of it? It's kind of scary here in Acts with all these tongues of fire and loud rushing winds and people speaking in tongues and whatnot. I don't know if it was necessarily scary for the apostles that day. They didn't know what was going on. All of a sudden, they get hit by this rush of wind, and they're acting the way that God wants them to act. I don't know that it was necessarily scary for the Jews that were gathered there that day either. I mean, they wrote it off the alcohol. <laughs> These people were filled with new wine. Look at them. They're drunk. 
What about us, though? As we're on the outside looking in on these events, what do we make of it? Our focus might be on the tongues of fire. Our focus might tend to be on the loud rushing winds or the, you know, those, those kinds of things, but we might write it off as an allegorical tale. Some whimsical, fancy event that just has some other meaning to it. Or some people might even say that they were drunk because we don't know how else to explain it. But interesting enough, if you read deeper and further, none of the focus in this lesson is on that. The crowds they're witnessing that day aren't focused on the tongues of fire or the loud rushing wind. Peter's sermon that he gives shortly thereafter isn't focused on those things. What is it focused on? It's focused on the language that's being spoken. That's where the entire focus is. Everyone's amazed that these Galileans are speaking and being understood by all these different nationalities. Peter is going to go on to stand up, probably get tired of being told he's being drunk because of all his actions. And he stands up and tells everybody that that's not the case. And then he goes on to quote an Old Testament prophecy from Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the, the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's doing something new. Change is unfolding. The gospel is being blown to places that nobody would think possible, or in some cases that nobody really wanted to go in the first place. So what's our takeaway here? What does Pentecost mean for you and I? Is it simply just another festival day on the church calendar? Do we relegate it to one day out of the year and then go about our business, leaving the Holy Spirit here in the four walls and trying to ignore it the rest of the days of our lives? I guess it really comes down to how we view change. How we view change. Obviously, change can be good or bad, but like it or not, change is always inevitable. We can embrace it and look upon the good that we can bring out of change, the things that we can do to help people migrate through that change. Or we can resist it and be stubborn about it. You know, all through history, the winds of change have blown. Empires have risen and fallen. Wars have raged on. People have hurt. Things have happened. The list goes on and on. I mean, look at the last two years and the change that was wrought in this country and globally across the board. There's only one thing that has never changed. It's not a thing, it's a person. And that's God. Not just God. God the Father, God the Son, and the reason we celebrate this day, God the Holy Spirit. And while God doesn't change, God brings about change. The Holy Spirit takes us from sitting in fear to stepping out in faith. Like the disciples in that upper room that day, being filled with the promised Spirit, we too in our baptisms have been given that same Spirit that helps us to be proclaimers of the gospel, to bring about change to a, a world that's broken, to people that are hurting, uniting us as one in the body of Christ, to speak that common language, language that's proclaimed not just verbally, but quite honestly, through our actions. The Holy Spirit helps us to proclaim our faith, a faith that my son will confirm 
in a few minutes. A faith that says that those of us who have been confirmed before him know and struggle with at times. A faith that God is the source of all peace and goodness and hope and life. A faith that is fostered and nurtured solely by the Holy Spirit. A faith that helps us to know that God is present in times of change, as your life is about to change as you enter high school now. Faith that you're going to have to lean on to get through it. So here today on this day at Pentecost, we can do one of two things. We can either embrace the Holy Spirit and be empowered by it and let Him release His power upon us and move us into action for change in this world, or we can be sticking our heads in the sand, (laughs) trying to resist it and hide from it and run from it. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to be affected by these winds of change blowing in by the Holy Spirit today and all the days of your life? We don't, like wind, harness the Holy Spirit. It harnesses us. It helps us to step out of our fear and confidence into faith, walking and doing the things that God calls us to do, taking care of our neighbors, healing the sick, helping us get those through the troublesome times that they experience, taking care of the marginalized, letting people know that they count for something, that they're not just trash because God doesn't make junk. Step out today. Embrace the Holy Spirit. And let it blow you to wherever it may be. Because whenever the Spirit blows, one thing is for sure. Change will occur. Both for those of us who are proclaiming the gospel and those that we're proclaiming the gospel to. And to God be all the glory. Amen.